You know, I was thinking the other day uh, about uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I've done a little reading on him um, and seen some things on him. He's a, a great leader, um, great president, uh, but he was also burdened with great opposition. You might be surprised, even though you may think the media today is negative, uh, you might be surprised at the kinds of things they printed back then in the newspaper. The language they used to describe Abraham Lincoln uh, would not be on network television today. <laughs> it was extremely harsh. Um, the profanity that were in some of the uh, political cartoons about Lincoln as he was running for president were the vulgarest of the vulgar you can imagine. But even in spite of that, he had vision, vision for the 13th Amendment, vision that no one else did. His, his closest advisors disagreed with him, not necessarily on the principle of what the 13th Amendment was, but the timing of getting it done. For them, what was more important, his closest advisors and definitely his opponents, what they wanted was for the Civil War to end not for the very thing they were fighting to come to pass. And so even the guys who agreed with him politically would rather have the Civil War end than the thing they were fighting for be accomplished. And he was the only voice in the cabinet room, the only voice at certain times on Capitol Hill saying this is what we are pursuing. He had a vision that it was going to be accomplished. And it got to the point... When he was elected, Abraham Lincoln, for his second term, obviously he didn't get to finish that, but when he was elected for his second term by a landslide, and his political party won by a landslide, everybody, all his guys were saying that let's try to end the war, but if we can't end the war, let's just shelve the 13th Amendment until we get our new guys into Congress. Let's wait until all these guys who are going to disagree with us are out. And he had some sense in him that he didn't have time for that. And so he gives this declaration to his closest advisors. This is now, no, now is the time. Now is the time. We have to do it now. We can't wait for anything. We have to do it now. The idea is people are dying. We're not going to wait to accomplish something great. We're going to do it now, which if you really think about it, that's our purpose. People are dying and going to hell. We don't have time to wait you don't know how long you're going to be here. Even if you're on this earth for 100 years, that's a drop in the bucket to eternity. You're not here forever. You're here for a limited amount of time to accomplish what God puts you here to accomplish. We don't have time to waste. And that's what Lincoln told his guys. says, we don't have time to waste. This needs to happen now. And they set out to accomplish this history-defining moment. All because he had a vision. And his vision did not stem from what was politically relevant. It did not even stem from his moral character. It stemmed, if you research Lincoln, from his faith. Because of his faith, he saw something nobody else saw. And because he saw something nobody else saw, not just with their eyeballs, but he had vision because of his faith. And that faith brought the vision that changed not just our history, but the history of the world in one moment. This man did this thing. He's remembered for a lot of things. That right at the very top of the list. 
And he stepped out in great faith. You see, because what vision does, vision that is fueled by faith, vision sees what you can't see. You can't physically see it, but vision, fueled by faith, allows you to see something you can't see. I had somebody telling me this morning that they were going to step out on faith and do something phenomenal for God, something they'd struggle with for a while. They were going to do it, and, and God has already, in praise, delivered in advance of their step of faith, even though they haven't taken the step of faith yet. They just decided to do it. And God <laughs> over and abundantly blessed on the front end. You see, God can give us a vision for something that we can't see, that we don't know how it's going to come to pass. But if we step on faith, we may come to see it in a new way, which is exactly what we're going to be looking at today. In a story that may be very familiar to many of you, if not all of you, this is from Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, on page 151. If you're here in the room, you can grab a Bible in front of you. It's also on our website, thequeen.church. You can see the scripture notes there. If you're watching online, all the notes are right below you. Uh, just grab you a Bible, hit up Bible.com. Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to be for most of the time. You see, uh, in the book of Joshua, what's been happening is God came to a group of people called the Israelites and told them, I am going to bring through your nation an individual who will save the world, who will be a blessing to everyone on the planet, which ultimately would be Jesus. And so he's going to bring out his will through this people to the world because of Jesus. Not because the people were good by any stretch of the imagination. Just read one chapter of the Old Testament. You can find out that's not true. But because of Jesus was going to come through them. And so these people had been enslaved at one point in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt. And in the, the doing of that great thing, God also wiped out the entire Egyptian army with one sweep of his hand. The greatest army on the earth at that point, God just obliterated it. And Egypt, if you really look at history, has never been the same since. God wiped them out. Israel's out there. And now Israel, God's told them, you're going to go and I'm going to give you this amazing promise. I'm going to give you this land that's incredible. All you have to do is go and take it. He, God tells them, I am going to go in front of you and fight the battles for you. You just have to go. God tells them, I am going to go in front of you and be like hornets. to the, I'm going to go in, in like a swarm to your enemies, and I will do it. You just go and take it. And so they send out scouts into this land they're going to go and take. The scouts travel the whole land and come back. It takes them 40 days. They, they, they gather a bunch of stuff. Uh, they, you know, if you've seen the images maybe in, in children's Sunday school back in the day, uh, they, they find a, a batch of grapes, not like grapes we can get at Walmart, but grapes that are so massive and vines that are so huge, it takes two of them to carry on poles between them. Huge. And they bring them back and they say, the land is amazing. It's unlike anything we've ever seen in our lives. And two guys, they sent 12 spies into the land to do the recon work. Two out of the 12 said, yes, God said we can take it. We can take this deal. Easy, no biggie. We just got to go in there and follow God. He'll fight the battles. We got it. The other 10 guys said, no, guys, you're nuts, man. This, yeah, the land's great. Yeah, the land's got some really great stuff in it. But the people there are huge, huge. We cannot do this. And the other two guys who said, yes, we can, said, you're right, we can't, but God can. He's already promised it. We just got to go and do it. And those other ten convinced the entire nation 
to not do it. They followed consensus. They took a vote. They were democratic back then. (laughs) They had a business meeting. They took a vote, and they didn't do it. And you know what God said? I'm going to wipe out every single person who was not faithful. And so he did. He had to walk around for 40 years until everybody who was not faithful died. But then he brought them in. He said, if, if you don't have faith enough to follow me now, you're not going to have faith enough to follow me then. And so he just waited until they all died. And then they were going to go into the land. And that's where we get here in the beginning of Joshua. All the people who were faithless in that step of God died. It took them 40 years, but they had all died. This new generation has come up, and they're having to be introduced to the things of God. Now, having been wandering for 40 years while their parents and grandparents died off, And they come into the land of promise that they were supposed to have 40 years ago, but they didn't. But now they are, and they're stepping into the land. They've come across, and they step into the land. They've set up tents. And this is the first city they come to, Joshua chapter 6, is Jericho. The very first city they come to, and history tells us, may very well have been the most secure city in all of Canaan. I could get into the details of how thick the wall was and how tall the wall was, they think, and it was massive, and once they shut the gates on this wall, there is nobody getting in. It's impossible. This thing was huge. This thing was massive. They would put archers up on the top of this wall, and they could shoot for a great distance, and there's no way anybody's going to be able to take this thing down. No matter how big their siege works were, no matter how big any of this was, it's not coming down, and this is the first city they come to that was on purpose. And so they come in there, and they set up camp, and they're ready to take this thing. And they go in there to take it. They go in there to fight the battle, so to speak. Anybody ever heard the old children's song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho? Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho. Uh, I've been trying to find all week that song sung by Willa Dorsey. Anybody heard of Willa Dorsey? She used to sing um, all over the place. She's in heaven now with Jesus. She's singing better now than she ever did. Uh, but he, he, if you can find that song, Willa Dorsey singing, Josh Fit the Battle of Jericho, send me that link. I have searched. I have searched. Um, I remember her coming to our church and singing that. And I remember her standing on the stage, but I really remember she came to our house afterwards, ate dinner with us. Uh, growing up, we always had tacos on Sunday nights. And then she sat at the piano and sang for another two or three hours. And it is incredible. But I can hear her singing, Just Fit the Battle of Jericho. So my parents this week found a cassette player and recorded it on their phone and sent it to me. Uh, So it's really good. It's it's amazing. Uh, But she would sing all over the country. She sang for Billy Graham. She sang on TV. She sang for presidents. Um, She was an amazing, amazing lady. And she had a phenomenal memory, all right, because she came and sang at our church, I remember, in the mid-'90s, say, 93, 94, and then when I was in college, maybe six years later, seven years later, at that time, my, little, my youngest sister was having all kinds of internal problems in the hospital. They were saying she was going to die and all this stuff. And, and uh, when I was in college, Willa came and sang at my college, Dallas Baptist University. And I went down to talk to her afterwards, and she knew me by sight and asked about my little sister while she's being mobbed by thousands of people, this woman who's been all over the world singing. And it just blew me away that she could remember that. And then uh, she went home to be with Jesus not too, uh, it's a long time now, it's maybe 10, 15 years. Um, but 
I, I was working on this message now for several weeks, and I've been singing, I can, I can hear her sing it, and I, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. I hear her sing it in my head, and I sing it like her in my head. <laughs> um, but it's really incredible. Uh, and those walls, I can just resonate with her. Those walls came a-tumbling down. Um, well, that's where we are. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But it's not Joshua who does the fighting, as we're going to see. Look at verse 6. Joshua is the leader of the nation. He was one of the two faithful guys who came back and told the nation, you need to go because God's going to take it. So God gave him the role of leadership because he was faithful. And he steps in, verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Now understand, too, a little bit of what's happening here. Um, These people, you know, their parents and grandparents had been slaves their whole lives, so they didn't have military training. And then their parents and grandparents, who didn't have any military training, have now died off. And now this, this new generation, the generation following them, have been raised up without really a whole lot of military training. They've had some experience of having to fight battles now uh, sometime as they were wandering out around in the wilderness. Joshua is a very skilled military leader, um, uh, strategist. And so they're walking in here with that background to tackle quite possibly the greatest uh, uh, confrontation they're going to have in Jericho. And Joshua tells them, take up the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, and then put seven priests up there with seven trumpets, and then put all the armed men behind them, right there, or in front of them. Go forward, march around the city. Verse 8, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed before the Lord, they went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant, of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the, la- until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night at the camp. Lots of interesting stuff here. Joshua, remember, who's a brilliant military mind, tells them, we're not going to attack the city. We're going to walk around it. And Jericho, at this point in history, was probably about a 30 minutes walk around uh, from the distance they had to be. So they would walk for 30 minutes, and they would go back to camp, spend the night. They would walk around the city, go back to camp, and spend the night. But while they're walking, those seven trumpets being blown by the seven priests are just blaring the whole time. Those trumpets are blaring. That's the only sound. There's no shout, no talking, no murmuring, no whispering under their breath. Joshua told them, you guys better not say one word. We're just going to walk around the city and go home. That's it. Just walk. Now, you've got to imagine, too, you know, these people have been holed up. They've been being told now for 40 years, we're going to take the land. We're going to take the land. We're going to conquer this thing. God's going to be with us. He's going to be in our hand with the sword, and we're going to take it. And now they're just walking around. And you got to believe these Israelites didn't just 
obey without comment. You think when they got home, they sat down to dinner after day one, and were like, man, I'm so excited. We got the scout, the, the Jericho. It's going to be amazing. Or do you think a few of them went back and kind of complained a little bit? I think Joshua's kind of lost his mind. <laughs> you know, we, we crossed the Jordan. We're going to take the land, and we're just walking now. We're just, where's all the faith we've been hearing for four decades? Where's all the faith? All those people died because they didn't have faith, and here we are just walking, not fighting at all. You think any of them complained a little bit? You think it? I mean, we complain when the microwave doesn't take long, you know, takes too long. Uh, and, and you think they complained about any of this? I imagine they did. I mean, they're human, right? I mean, they, they, maybe not after day one. Maybe, maybe they're thinking Joshua's got something up his sleeve. You know, tomorrow we're going to do something crazy. But look at verse, uh, or that was verse 11. Uh, they did it the same every single day following. But I want to point out something before we get to those days about those trumpets. Trumpets in verse 9, they blew continually. I also had the thought, you know, because the trumpets are behind the people, wouldn't you hate to be the row of guys right in front of the trumpets, uh, that they just blow continually all the way around? But the trumpets are blowing. These trumpets are special because uh, trumpets were used a number of times, uh, but particularly they were a reminder of God's greatness and God's presence as they were used in worship. This is from Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. They were used in worship of God. And so they're reminding the army, the trumpets are blowing behind the people, the people are walking in front of them. So the sound of the trumpet is resonating over the people to remind them of God's greatness and God's presence is with them. So the trumpets are blowing as, as, a, as a praise reminder. But nothing has happened yet. No battle's been fought, no land has been conquered. This is before any of that's going on. And so this is what's happening, is their faith may be and should be, because of the praise that's being issued, issued by the trumpets, faith is raised with some pre-praise. They were praising beforehand. The, the trumpets were a symbol of praise, praising before the land is conquered, praising before God has, has conquered the land for them. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't know what's going to happen on day seven. They don't know what's going to happen throughout Joshua's entire uh, 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 leadership and conquering the whole land. They have no idea, but they're hearing the trumpets and the trumpets being a symbol of praise, there is praise beforehand, and in that their faith should be raised. And that can happen with us as well. You know, a lot of times we can get discouraged uh, when we watch the news, right, Johnny? You were telling me this morning, we get discouraged when we watch it. We don't want to watch the news anymore. We don't want to get on social media because this guy's posting that, and we really like this person, but we don't like when they post about this, and we don't want to see that, so we start hating, and we don't want any of that. But, but that begins to, to not just discourage us, but bring us to not a spiritual level, but an emotional level that we never thought we would get to. But praise not just elevates us, it elevates our view of God, and in elevating our view of God, that elevates us. And so pre-praise, even before the thing we're praying for to happen, we start praising God for that thing, our faith is elevated, our faith is increased, or should be increased. If our minds and our hearts' attention are on what God is doing, it will raise our faith. And so the Israelites, hearing the trumpets as the sound resonates over them, walking around the city, verse 12, day two, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. 
And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, I'm emphasizing that on purpose. He says that a lot here in this chapter. Seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. They blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. The rear guard was walking uh, after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did it for six days. Now, I want you to notice something, too. Joshua has not told the people how long they got to march. He didn't tell them. Joshua didn't tell them yet what's going to happen after they've marched around the city. All the people have done so far is they believe God has spoken to Joshua, and they're going to follow and obey Now, knowing Israel, if you've read the Old Testament, they may only obey for a little while. Uh, They're giving him, you know, just enough rope to hang himself. Uh, You know, they they trust to a point. And God has led them here. God has led him here. And the people are trusting in this bonkers plan of walking around the city and not fighting. And so they do it for six days. But then the seventh day comes. Remember, seven priests, seven trumpets, the seventh day. On the seventh day, verse 15, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. So on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the, around the city seven times. Yeah. At the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets. So picture it as we're about to read Joshua's speech. They march around the city this time seven times. Now, again, it doesn't say maybe Joshua did, but it doesn't say Joshua told them ahead of time we're marching around seven times today. Maybe they were thinking we're only going to march around once like the other days. But Joshua keeps going once they hit lap uh, one, and he just keeps going. They go with him. And the trumpets are still blowing. The trumpets blow once they get after seven times. The trumpets finally uh, uh, blow loud, and then Joshua shouts this, verse 16. And the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest you have, de- uh, you have devoted them, uh, lest when you have devoted them, You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver, gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. So he says here the trumpets are blown. So the trumpets stopped blowing so Joshua can give this speech. He says, remember, he told them at the beginning, day one, don't say anything until I tell you to say something. And now day seven, they've walked around seven times. The trumpets blow. The trumpets stop blowing. Joshua gives this speech and says, guys, it's time to shout because God's given us the city. The people shout. The trumpets blow. The people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. The wall fell down flat. Now, there's a great argument in theological circles, did the walls, you know, just fall down? Did they just fall down into the earth? I mean, I picture them falling out 
and, and smacking on the ground, which would have surprised the Israelites because they didn't expect that. It really would have surprised the guys from Jericho standing on the wall <laughs> as the walls fall down flat. And they shout, and this happens. They shout, and this happens. They find victory from not fighting. They find victory from not fighting at all. Not fighting at all. And what would they have heard 40 years ago? Sally, you know this. I know you know this verse, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be what? Silent. And what were they for seven days? Silent. And who fought the battle? The Lord. God fought. God fought the battle. They didn't do anything but walk. They walked around the city. God fought. God won. Now, hang on. You know what? We're going to, I'm going to cut out a section here. And there's another time I'm reminded. <laughs> this, this isn't going to be on your screen. This is brand new. There's another time that I'm reminded of when a battle was fought, not by the people who were there, but by the Lord. This is in Revelation 19. If you have your Bibles with you, Revelation 19, verse 11. This is the end of the world. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Which, if you know John, who wrote the book of Revelation, at the beginning of his gospel, the book of John, he says the Word is God. The word, Good job, Micah. Look at that. Look at that. Micah's on the personnel team. Micah needs a raise. I, get an amen? Nothing. There we go. There we go. Got one. Um, this is Jesus. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, uh, jump down to verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse, Jesus, and against his army that is behind him. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest, the enemy army, the enemy army that had gathered to fight against God, the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged on their flesh. So who won the battle? The army who was with Jesus or Jesus? Jesus won the army or won the battle. The army did nothing. The battle was won without any of them pulling the sword out of its sheath. Exactly like this moment. The battle was won. They, I mean, the Israelites still had to go into Jericho, but the battle was over before they even stepped foot across the walls. 
God won. I mean, this is a this is crazy. Joshua, the great military strategist, could not have come up with this on his own. Let's walk around the city, and God's going to make the walls fall. We're going to go in. Great victory. This is, is what happens. They find victory without fighting. So how did they get there? How did he come up with this plan? We'll go back up a little bit in Joshua. Let's look at uh, chapter 5. Go up to verse 13. They're sitting outside the city before day one of their marching around it happens. And look at what happens here. Joshua was by Jericho. Verse 13. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now, this is a scary prospect. They're a conquering nation coming in to Canaan. Joshua is by himself, possibly strategizing a plan to take over the city uh, and where they're going to go after they win. And he's there, and he looks out of the corner of his eye. He senses somebody's there. And he looks, and there's a man standing there with his sword out. The imagery is sword drawn. It's like the sword is pointed at Joshua. And Joshua turns. That would, that would scare anybody. Have you ever been in your home, and you feel like somebody's there, and you're by yourself? That, you know, it's that kind of sensation. But this actually was somebody there. And uh, Joshua says, are you on our side or on their side? Joshua recognizes there's something different about this guy. There's something going on here. Joshua says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Verse 14. And he said, no. <laughs> I love that too. Joshua didn't give him a yes or no question. He said, are you on our side or their side? And the man just said, no. Right now, our youngest son, Ethan, uh, that's his response to any question you ask. You know, is just, unless you say, do you want to watch Mickey? But it's just, no. Do you want to eat this? No. Do you want that? No. Do you want to go play? No. Do you want to come over here? No. And this guy, not a yes or no question. Are you on our side or their side? He just says, no. Like, I'm not on either one of your sides. Look at what he says next. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, that's a key word, worshipped, and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua obeyed. Now it's interesting, the man says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. A lot of debate again about who this guy is. We know from the book of Revelation that Michael, the archangel, is a leader in the Lord's army. But that doesn't seem to fit with this guy. Because notice a couple of things. Number one, he says, the, the angel tells, the, a seeming angel, he's the commander of the Lord's army, tells Joshua, take your sandals off for where you are standing is holy. You're standing on holy ground, so take your sandals off. Put the things on the ground that God made, not the things that man made. So he says, where you're standing is holy. So the, the commander's presence is an indication of holiness. Not only that, it says that Joshua worshipped him. He fell to the earth and worshipped. Fell to the earth and worshipped. And now, 
if this were an angel in Scripture, when we see a human, as we, I referenced the book of Revelation a minute ago, throughout the book of Revelation, um, John would fall on his face to worship the angel with him, and the angel every time would say, stop worshiping me, I'm an angel. I'm not Jesus. So every time when we see an angel receiving worship, the angel says stop and points to Jesus. And so this person, this commander, does not do that. Doesn't do that. Says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. He receives worship, and he says to Joshua, my very presence here means this is holy. So who do you think this is? I think it's Jesus. Let me teach you a big old fat seminary word. Christophany. Say it with me. Christophany. That means an appearance of Jesus before Jesus was born by Mary. And so there's several thing, places in the Old Testament where we believe that to be the case. Another one would be when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. And there's another one there. And they say it looks like a, a God, a, a son of God. And probably because it was. And so we think that is here as well, that this commander of the Lord's army is the Lord standing there in front of Joshua. Joshua asks him, are you on our side or their side? And he says, no. Actually, Joshua, you're on my side. That's not what he says, but that's what I believe is implied here. He says, no, I am here. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. So Joshua's having a conversation with the Lord, and the, he's about to lay something down for Joshua that, honestly, Joshua wasn't prepared for. He's about to give Joshua a glimpse of what's to come, but not a detailed schematic. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army, the Lord, said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now, we're going to stop right there just for a second. Now, look at that. The Lord says to Joshua, See, I have given it into your hand. But if Joshua were to look, what would he see? Well, we just read in verse 1. Click back to verse 1. Jericho was shut up inside and out. It was locked tight. The walls were secure. The gates were shut. People may have come against Jericho before, and it's not been conquered. There's no way they're going to conquer people who don't have siege works, people who don't have, you know, powerful, powerful weapons. Uh, they're, there's no way they're going to defeat Jericho. It is an impossible. This is what he sees. He sees Jericho as an impossibility. And they go to verse 2. What does God say to him? Look, I have given it to you. If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, I'm looking, but it doesn't look like that at all. Uh, You just say that. I see something completely different than what you're telling me. They faced Jericho, these Israelites, with sticks and stones, with arrows and, uh, uh, you know, slingshots and, and primitive weapons of having been uh, out in the middle of nowhere for so long, what they see, what their experience tells them is this isn't going to happen. But they had faith, or at least Joshua did. They really could not have put a dent in the wall if they tried, but they had faith. Look at the next verse, verse 3. 
This is what God says to Joshua. You will march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. So God's giving Joshua the plan. Verse 4. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, and everyone straight before him. So that's the plan. That's, I mean, God says to Joshua, you're going to walk around the city, walls are going to fall, and it's over. You win. He doesn't say how the walls are going to fall. He doesn't say what's going to transpire every single day after they walk around. He doesn't say what the people in the city are going to be thinking and how scared they're going to be because they just see Israel marching around like a bunch of crazy people. They don't say, he doesn't say what's going to happen. You know, the, the infrastructure of the, the, the bolts in the wall, when the shout resonates, it's going to make it fall. He doesn't give any of those details. It's just a few sentences. You're going to march. I'm going to knock them down. That's it. And we saw when Joshua told the people what they were doing, he did not give them the step-by-step that he had. He only had like three sentences. He didn't even give the people that much. He just said, go, we're going to walk. Be quiet. That was it. And they go, and they walk, and they walk, and they walk. And all this is going on. And Joshua, from what we can gather from the book of Joshua, was an incredible man of faith. Not to say he didn't have doubts, he didn't struggle. I mean, he's told repeatedly, not just in Joshua chapter 1, but in, in, in previous encounters with Joshua, to be strong and have courage. Because God knew what was coming. You're about to have to go through something that's just crazy. But be strong and have courage. Be strong and have courage. And he tells him again in Joshua chapter 1, you rely on my word and I will give you success wherever you go. Just be strong and courageous. And so here Joshua's strength and, and courage is being tested as he walks into this place. God doesn't give him the how. He didn't, Joshua didn't ask for the how. How often do we want the details, though, of what's coming? How often do we want the, the you know, step one, two, three, four, five, six, before we even step on step one? How often do we want the intricate specifics of what's going to go down? But God didn't give it to Joshua, and Joshua didn't ask. Because big faith does not need the how. Big faith doesn't need the how. That's God's business. Big faith just needs the trust. Big faith just needs to trust. God gave Joshua crazy instructions. Walk. Okay. As far as we can tell, Joshua said, good. Okay, fine. We're going to walk. We're going to walk. We're going to walk for 30 minutes every day. Last day, we're going to walk around that thing seven times. That's what, three and a half hours. They probably slowed down as they got going, maybe four hours. We're going to walk for four hours around this deal. Then we're going to shout, and you're going to win the victory. That's it. That's the end of our battle for Jericho. So that song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho, is actually incorrect. Joshua walked, and God fought the battle of Jericho. They walk around this city. God does it because they trust him. They didn't have the how. They didn't have the specifics. No matter what the people were saying, when they got back to their tents and their wives asked them, hey, how was the battle today? Oh, we just walked for a while. Joshua's gone nuts. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He may have figured stuff out back when Moses was alive, but now that he's in the role, he, doesn't, he can't hack it. He can't do it. Joshua just kept going where God showed him to go. And Joshua steps out there in faith, and the people follow him. The people follow him. 
Even if they had doubts, they followed him. And they get there, and this amazing thing, God does this incredible thing because they trusted God. I heard a pastor a few weeks ago say, say it this way, it's not faith if you can figure it out. And if you can figure it out, there's no faith involved. I mean, if I can figure out my entire life and what needs to happen, if I can figure out what, what, what the, the specifics of the vision God has given, then there's no faith in there, and I can do it on my own. But God's not going to give us something we can do on our own. God's not going to give us a life where we don't need him. God's going to give us a life where we need to rely on him in faith. So God didn't give him the how. Joshua didn't ask for the how. He just gave God trust. Even though, as it always is with faith, there's no guarantee of safety in faith. If you trust God, there's no guarantee you're going to walk through it unscathed. There's just a guarantee you're going to walk through it with God, whatever it may be. So they walk, and they walk, and they walk. Joshua trusted God. You know what, Micah? Go back to that verse 2, where it says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. See it. See it. Joshua trusted God more than he trusted his own sight. God says, See, I've given it. I've made it as hard as possible where you can't do it, and it has to be me. See it. Yeah, hallelujah. He trusted God more than his own eyeballs. I got to tell you guys, there's a lot of times that that's not me. <laughs> I mean, I say, God, I, this is what I see. So I know you, you said, God, this is what's going to happen. And, and I pray that that happens. But, you know, you know, if it's your will that that will happen, but it, it probably won't, because <laughs> what I see is absolutely impossible. The doctors are saying this. The people are saying this. The, the head doctor in the nation is saying this about this virus stuff. It doesn't look like it's ever going to, it's impossible. God says, see, I've given it into your hand. Like, uh, but God, I, what I see is different. What I see is different. And, and in that moment for me, I've got to be like, well, Joshua, which that's my name, talk about convicting, <laughs> Joshua trusted God more than he trusted his own eyes. Because sight is no guarantee of vision. Vision comes from faith. Remember that story I told you about Abraham Lincoln. Everybody else said, this is what we see. His own trusted advisors said, this is what we see. And he said, no, this is what I see. Vision comes from faith. Just because you can see it, that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Joshua saw Jericho as an impossibility, and God saw Jericho as something that the people needed him to do for them. God already knew what was going to happen. He says, guys, what I'm about to do, people are going to be singing as a song millennia from now because of this very moment. Are you ready to step out in faith? Vision comes from faith, not sight, not sight. It reminded me of a story. I may have told it before in here. I don't remember. I had a, a group in a Bible study a year or so ago where we read this book on uh, the man George Mueller, and I just recently read it again and was reminded of the story. Uh, George Mueller was a man of great faith who lived out, give us this day our daily bread, <laughs> because they didn't have it most days. And it wasn't just him and his wife and his kids. He ran an orphanage that housed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids, thousands of kids, and they would wake up in the morning and have no food. 
They would set the table and have no food. There's was, there was one story, it's a famous story. They had no food, and the director of one of the orphan houses comes to Mueller and says, uh, Mr. Mueller, we don't have any food today. And he had this kid in his office who had come in for something, and he says, come with me. You're going to want to see this. And so they walk in there. They have all the kids stand behind the seats. In, this is just one of the orphan houses, uh, but none of the orphan houses have any food. And they stand behind their chairs, and he says, we're going to pray for the food. And they pray for the food. Before he says amen, there's a bang on the door. There's a bang on the door. It was a baker from town. And the baker had to, their orphan houses were outside of town, a ways up a massive hill. So he had to walk up the hill to get there. And he says, Mr. Mueller, God woke me up at 2 a.m. and told me to bake you this bread. And I've got five more carts of it out here in the truck. Will you send some guys to help me? Yes. So they go out. Having, they didn't pray that God would give them the food. They thanked God for the food he had already sent. But they didn't know it was there. They pre-praised. All right? The food, the bread comes in. And so they go to finish their prayer that they didn't get to finish. Before they could finish the prayer, the door is probably still open. There's another bang on the door. It's a milkman. I know most of you don't know what that is, but it's a guy who would go from house to house and drop off milk. And so he bangs on the door and says, hey, Mr. Mueller, my cart just broke down outside your orphan here, out your house here, and, and it's too heavy for me to pick it up to fix the wheel. Can, I need to unload a bunch of this milk, and it's going to go bad, so you guys can just have it so I can fix the wheel. And so they go out there, and they don't even, they don't, uh, they not only have enough milk for breakfast for the thousands of kids in the house, they have enough milk for the rest of the day. They were, you know, uh, they would have afternoon tea, and we don't often do that here in America, but they did in the country they were in. They had enough milk, not just for breakfast, but for the other meals of the day and their afternoon tea. Enough meal, more than what they had even thought to pray for. Thank God for, God provided abundantly. This is the man, George Mew. This is the man, okay? That's just set up. Well, he's been living this way for decades, decades and decades, 50, 60 years. And he's uh, on this tour. Uh, he's, I think he's at this point in his 80s. He's on this tour of the world telling people all that God's done. And he's on a boat coming to uh, Canada. I think it was at the time. He was going to go through Canada, come through America. Uh, but this fog came on. Massive, terrible fog. And you got to remember, this was back 1800s. They didn't have, you know, nautical instruments like we have today. Uh, they couldn't really get through the fog, so they were just going to shut down and let the fog pass so they didn't run into, you know, uh, icebergs or whatnot. It's Canada, right? And so uh, the captain comes to him and says, Mr. Mueller, we've got to stop. The fog's too heavy. We can't go. Mr. And George says, why are we stopping? This doesn't make any sense. He says, well, look, see, we can't see. And George Mueller said to the captain, hey, you know what? Why don't you come with me? We're going to go pray. And the captain didn't believe in Jesus. The captain didn't believe in God. And so he didn't think, he told George Mueller, this isn't going to do any good. I can, I've been a captain and on the seas all of my life. This kind of fog does not pass quickly. And George Mueller said back to him, I have never missed an appointment God set up for me to tell people about Jesus. And I'm not about to today. Let's go pray. So they walk out the outside of the ship through the fog into George's cabin, they, George kneels, and the captain, you know, very timidly kneels because it's weird for him. And George just prays that he's a simple prayer. God, I know you set up this deal for me to go tell people about Jesus. We need you to lift the fog. Amen. And the captain starts to fumble words, but George says, no, just stop. I know you don't mean it. I know you can't. My prayer is enough for both of us. 
and they get up. <laughs> no, they don't get up. This is my favorite part. George tells the captain, now go open the door. He's prayed for like 10 seconds, okay? And he tells the captain, go open the door. And the captain says, okay, you're crazy. This is a bonkers plan. We've heard this before. You want me to, what? So he goes and opens the door. You know what he sees? No fog. All the fog is gone. Not even just remnants where you can see a little bit. It's all gone. And George says, all right. He didn't, he, George doesn't get up and go look out the door. He says, come back in here. We need to talk about Jesus. Before they leave that cabin, that guy's saved. And they go, and George tells these people about Jesus. He had vision, even though he couldn't physically see. Even though he couldn't see, he knew by faith God had something for him to do. By faith, God had something for him to do, which is what this story in Joshua chapter 6 is all about. In Hebrews chapter 11, we get an indication, one verse about this situation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. I think I have this one on the screen, don't I? Or did I not put it in there? Hebrews chapter 11, yeah, there we go. I couldn't remember. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I'll leave that verse up for a minute. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, they fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Not only were they encircled for seven days, remember all the sevens? Seven priests with seven trumpets blew them for seven days, and then for seven trips on the seventh day. Lots of sevens in there. You know what seven is? It is perfection, completion. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Faith enables victory after encircling obedience for the perfect amount of time. The perfect amount of time. Faith enables victory. When the situation, the circumstance has been encircled by obedience for the perfect amount of time. Now, that perfect amount of time means that's God's perfection, not mine. Not what I think is perfect in the right amount of time. I've got to choose to trust him more than I trust myself. I've got to choose to trust God more than I trust my eyes. I've got to trust him more than I trust what other people are telling me about the situation. The experts. I've got to choose to trust God more than I choose to trust anything else that's going on. I've got to trust. I have vision because of faith, because vision glows in the dark. Vision can see things that we can't see. Vision. And we have to encircle it with acts of obedience, with faithful obedience, with where God has called us and where God has planted us and what God has called us to do and what God has set before us. We have to keep encircling. We have to keep walking around where God wants us to walk and doing what God wants us to do and speaking what God wants us to speak, no matter what somebody's saying. Because he is the one we've got to please, not anybody else. You know, Paul wrote this one time that if, uh, I think it's in the book of Galatians. I want to say, I read it to, in, in today's Bible reading or yesterday's, but Paul said that if I start to make people happy and not God, I'm serving people and not God. And so here Joshua is, is listening to God even though it defies everything he's learned from experience as far as militarily. But he knows from experience, God is always faithful. God is always faithful. 
And so if God says walk around and the walls are going to fall, Joshua believes, I'm going to walk around and the walls are going to fall. They're going to fall. Victory's going to come when I encircle this thing in faithful obedience. You say, but I've been walking around this situation in faithful obedience for 10 years and the walls haven't fallen yet. That just means it's not the perfect time yet. God's not become faithless in that period of time. God's still faithful. And so in response to his faithfulness, will I be faithful to walk in obedience? Irregardless of what I hear, irregardless of what I see on social media, irregardless of what the news is shouting at me, will I walk faithfully where he set me to go? Will I go? And so you have to ask yourself the question, what do you need to encircle with obedient faith? What do you need to encircle in obedient faith? Maybe you're just on day three. Maybe you're on day six. Maybe you're on day seven, lap seven, and it's about time to shout. Do you need to walk? What do you need to encircle? Where in your life do you need to pre-praise? Instead of seeing what you see, do you need to shut your eyes and see with the vision that God has and pre-praise for what he's already going to do that you don't even know about, but he's faithful to accomplish what he is faithful to accomplish every single time. What do you need to pre-praise him for? What do you need to look in anticipation of what he has yet to do, but you know he can do because of his greatness? Will you pre-praise with a shout of victory and where within you do you need vision where within you do you need faith where within you do you need to step in what God has called you to do do you need to step and follow in faithful obedience faithful obedience you may not know the how you may not know even the timetable but God's given you a step to take. And you got to go. We got a deal coming in about a month. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, Deanne, but I'm going to do it. That God's going to speak in a powerful way. There's going to be an awakening. And God's going to use this facility to host it. These walls aren't holy. God is. And he's going to use this place to accomplish something phenomenal. So the how, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how the walls are going to fall. We don't know yet. Ask me in a month, in a few days, and I'll tell you. We don't know yet all the details. Joshua didn't know all the details. He just knew to step forward, encircle the thing, and see what God was about to do. And how he pulls it together, that's his business, not mine. My business is faithful obedience. And so that's something you can be doing is praying. Praying for whatever God's going to accomplish. I, I don't know if they told you this yet. This is a vision God gave to Deanne. God gave me last November the name of the person who's going to come and speak and that something was going to happen. He just didn't tell me when. God gave you the when. And here it is. So when Micah came to my office and said, hey, there's this thing going on, and he said the name of the guy and the time it's going to be, and I said, huh, interesting. God already laid that out. <laughs> and here it comes. 
What's the world going to look like in a month? I don't know. What was Jericho going to look like in seven days? They didn't know. But it's coming. Are you ready to step in faith? See what God's going to do. <laughs> there, I think often of this woman, her name was Bobby Boone. She used to sit right back there. And Bobby and I had many conversations. She's with Jesus. Lots of people with Jesus. I love Bobby. She was such a great encouragement. Uh, and we would talk about what God was going to set up for her to do and how God was going to use her to speak to so many on behalf of what God was going to accomplish here. Uh, and then God took her. <laughs> um, but she had faith, even though she was uncomfortable sometimes with music style. Or she was uncomfortable sometimes personally with preaching style or wearing sneakers on the platform. What Ms. Bobby told me was, I don't care what you got to do to tell people about Jesus. If it gets my kids and my grandkids saved, I'm happy. And she came and she sat. She raised her hand in church. That was very uncomfortable for her. But all because it was her belief, it doesn't matter if it gets people saved. And that's our philosophy here at First Baptist to Queen. Whatever it takes to get people saved, short of sin, of course. But we're willing to go anywhere, do anything to bring people to Jesus. We see that with Jesus. We see that with Joshua. Walk around a city instead of fight a battle. And so that's what God has called us to do, to bring his message to the queen, to bring his message to people who desperately need it. And if you don't know people in the queen desperately need Jesus, then you're not looking. See it. It's there. You don't got to look very hard. You can see it in this room. People need Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to step out and encircle that wall, that first step around the wall, which is faith, and believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. It's that simple. That's what faith, that's what salvation is. That's what faith is, believing in that. Finding that faith, believing, and then being able to step out in the way we see these guys step out and begin to turn faith on in all the different areas and avenues of your life and, and watch God do some amazing things. Watch him do it because he's the one doing it. Are you circling the wall with your faithful obedience here and now? Do you need to obey him and follow in belief right now? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to join the church? Do you need to step out in faith in your finances? Do you need to step out in faith in what God's going to be doing through this awakening? Do you need to step out in faith in whatever God has placed before you that I can't even comprehend? Do you need to step out in faith now and begin to encircle this thing with faithful obedience, irregardless of what you see because of what he sees? Let's have vision together and pre-praise him through shouts of praise and watch him do what he's going to do as we participate in his miracle.